Okay, we've got two bombshells this week, both involving the Hunter Biden scandal. Remember that letter that was signed by 51 intelligence officials claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, right? Several weeks before the election back in 2020, 51 intelligence officials miraculously came out. The Hunter Biden laptop, it's a fake, it's a fraud. It was really supplied by Russian operatives. And that letter, it turns out, was coordinated by the Biden campaign. We now have confirmation that that letter was a fake, that they got, I mean, the the 51 intelligence officials did sign it. They had no idea. They later admitted we had no idea if it was Russian disinformation. But it turns out now, coordinated by the Biden campaign, that's not a shock, but it does show us the sheer level of corruption and how far the deep state goes Massive corruption, massive collusion between Biden, the intel community, a bunch of swamp dwellers, and the media to suppress the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. And this bombshell, by the way, comes from a former CIA director, as we'll explain. The other bombshell, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, has repeatedly lied under oath. Allegedly, he has allegedly repeatedly lied under oath. Uh, when he claimed the special prosecutor who's investigating the Hunter Biden scandal has the freedom to charge Hunter Biden, multiple scandals. We're talking about tax evasion. We're talking about getting money from Ukraine, from China, Burisma, of course, as we know. There are gun charges. I mean, there are all sorts of crimes that allegedly Hunter Biden has committed that we know he's never going to get charged for because the fix is in, because the whole system is rigged. But now there's a whistleblower who claims that Attorney General Merrick Garland has lied under oath repeatedly, has committed perjury again and again. This happens all the time. So many Democrats have have lied under oath, have lied to Congress. And, of course, they never get charged with anything. I mean, uh, M- Michael Flynn, General Michael Flynn, he got charged. He, he, they, they entrapped him and he got charged. Democrats, they never get charged. But the point is that the DOJ right now is colluding to make sure that Hunter Biden never gets charged with a single crime. This has come from an IRS whistleblower who says that there's a massive conspiracy to cover up Hunter Biden's crimes. That is not a shock at all. But again, it exposes the deep state level of corruption. It exposes what we know, which is that they weaponize the DOJ. They they use it against Trump and they charge Trump with all sorts of crimes that he did not commit. And then the crimes that really were committed by the Biden crime family get swept under the, the rug, get covered up. By the way, coming up later in the show, the Democrats are accusing Republicans of banning books. They say that Republicans are banning books that don't agree with their ideology. And this is such a bogus claim, such a bogus assertion. And I want to show you they're gaslighting. They're really trying to gaslight people by twisting things around. They're claiming that the Republicans are the ones who are suppressing freedom of speech by banning and censoring books that don't agree with their point of view. And that is not true. That is, of course, a, a, de- a well-known Democrat tactic that that is constantly used where they censor people they don't agree with. But that's not what's happening here at all with Republicans uh, taking books, certain books out of schools and, and having certain books not being taught to their second, third, fourth, fifth graders. So we'll explain that a little bit later. So this past Thursday and a lot of other things to get to, of course, Thursday, a top official testified that the group of former spies who claimed that the Hunter laptop was fake, they were asked by the Biden campaign to, to write a letter falsely claiming Russia was responsible for fake Hunter Biden emails. And we know those are very incriminating emails. This is former CIA director Michael Morell. He testified before the House Judiciary Committee. He said he arranged the 50 or 51 <clears throat> intelligence officials to sign the letter. And it happened after a conversation that he had with Antony Blinken. He, he had a conversation. Again, this is November 2020. So this is before the election, several weeks before Massive political scandal breaks that was totally suppressed by Twitter, by Facebook, et cetera, by the FBI. Well, 
Anthony Blinken, who is now, of course, the secretary of state. That was his reward. But he was already big part of the Biden campaign. He had a conversation with this Michael Morell, former CIA director. And uh, essentially on October 17, 2020, right after this this bombshell broke about the Hunter Biden laptop, Blinken contacted Morell to discuss the story. Morell says Blinken sent him an article which suggested that the FBI was investigating whether the laptop was part of a disinformation campaign. So there was this call. Remember, Blinken didn't say to Morell, hey, I need you to gather 50 intelligence officials. They have to put out a phony letter, a bogus letter claiming that this uh, laptop is fake. And remember, of course, now we have the New York Times, the Washington Post, basically every mainstream media outlet admits that the Hunter Biden laptop is real, of course, now that the election is over. But Blinken sent Morell an article suggesting the FBI is investigating maybe the laptop is part of a disinformation. So he just sent him some random article with pure speculation, which was totally, of course, baseless. And that call prompted Morell to draft a letter just completely dismissing the, the, the Hunter Biden laptop. And then he went and gathered a bunch of intelligence officials say, hey, listen, we need to help Joe Biden. I mean, look, I'm sure, you know, we know what he said. He said, listen, Trump's a massive threat. He said, look at COVID. Look at at what Trump is doing. Trump is a huge threat to society. Look at Trump's mean tweets. So we have to do whatever we can. So we basically have to, even though we, we all know the Hunter Biden laptop is legit, is genuine, is authentic, we have to put out this letter speculating maybe, maybe it's Russian disinformation. And that way, that gives the New York Times and the Washington Post enough basis to totally ignore the story and totally bury the story. Morell admitted that he organized the letter to support Biden's election campaign. He said this under oath, testifying to the House Judiciary Committee last week. Unbelievable. And this is being ignored by the mainstream media. The second bombshell, Attorney General Merrick Garland is the unnamed official at the center of an alleged scandal involving Hunter Biden. This is according to the New York Post. Merrick Garland, what happened was last week, uh, an IRS whistleblower came forward, at least through an attorney. An attorney, uh, Mark Little, or or Mark Lytle, has, uh, has a letter signed by an anonymous IRS employee who's a whistleblower. This employee is the person heading the investigation into Hunter Biden's tax evasion scandal. So there's a bunch of investigations, as we said, but the IRS obviously is heavily involved. So now the person in charge of this is huge. The person in charge of the investigation into Hunter Biden's tax returns, which is an IRS employee, obviously very senior member of the IRS, uh, has put out a letter through an attorney saying essentially that he contradicts sworn testimony to Congress that was given by a senior senior Biden official, and he says preferential treatment was was given to Hunter Biden by investigators. Again, none of these are shocking, but it's pretty amazing that we now have them confirmed either by a CIA director or by an IRS whistleblower. The anonymous whistleblower said that somebody in the Biden uh, cabinet, or at least a top Biden official, testified falsely under oath. And according to the New York Post, they have obtained information that that person was Merrick Garland and the the false testimony was him claiming that U.S. Attorney David Weiss, working out of Delaware, who, of course, is investigating Hunter Biden as a special prosecutor, has full permission to criminally charge Hunter Hunter Biden and doesn't need the approval of DOJ leadership. And number one, it's, it's just not true from a technical level because special prosecutor, at least according to what I'm reading, they cannot charge anybody with a crime. And certainly not the president's son without getting the okay from the DOJ, from the attorney general, which obviously is a massive conflict of interest where you need Merrick Garland, who who was an appointee of Biden, to sign off on charging Hunter Biden with a crime. The whole that whole thing is that whole notion is just absurd. 
But anyway, Merrick Garland keeps saying over and over, Republicans keep challenging him, and they're saying, oh, come on, you really tell me that you gave the prosecutor, David Weiss, uh, you gave him carte blanche, you gave him the freedom to charge Hunter Biden with any crime he wants. And yeah, yeah, no, 100%, he has full autonomy, he can charge. And now this Iowa is whistleblower saying, no, it's not true. He's saying that the Biden administration, they are totally conspiring to make sure that Hunter Biden is never charged with a single crime, certainly not before November of 2024. According to a new poll, Trump is... That's still dominating Ron DeSantis. And of course, we've seen this trend again and again. There was like one poll, which we'll get to in a moment, that had DeSantis, DeSantis with a significant lead over Trump. But every other poll, and I know DeSantis hasn't even announced that he's running yet. So these things can change. These things can fluctuate. I expect there, to, there to be times when Ron DeSantis, I mean, look, if Trump gets indicted three or four more times, then he, that's going to give him a massive surge, and then then, then his numbers are going to skyrocket. Uh, look, these are obviously polls that happen within the Republican Party, and the, the, the indictments just keep to see, seem to keep give, making Trump stronger, not weaker. Every time Trump gets indicted, you know, and, and DeSantis is thinking, "Why can't I get indicted? Why does only Trump get indicted?" I understand it's only happened once so far, but either way, new poll: uh, Trump continues to dominate. This is a poll from the Wall Street Journal, so you'd expect it to be at least somewhat legit. Trump is leading DeSantis by 13 points. Trump at 53 percent, DeSantis at 40 percent, and no other candidate. That doesn't leave a lot of percent left. No other candidate even comes close. You have Nikki Haley at 5 percent, and nobody else breaks 3 percent. So I guess you have uh, 53 plus 40 is 93. Then Nikki Haley, there's already 96 percent. So no other candidate you know, is getting anywhere near Trump or DeSantis, and even Nikki Haley an abysmal 5%. And look, that could possibly change. Now you know why Mike Pompeo dropped out of the race. Mike Pompeo, I'm sure he does all this internal polling. These people, they have these pollsters, these internal pollsters who are measuring their popularity, trying to see if they can get anywhere near Trump. And I'm sure they keep coming out with the same results. Sorry, Trump, you're not moving the needle on Trump. Trump is just, he just has a very loyal following, very loyal base. And you're just not going to beat him. And and again, I, I could be wrong. I, you know, you never know. Maybe DeSantis can pull ahead. But we just keep seeing the same trend over and over again. And here's what you need to think about. We touched on this last time. I just wanted to mention it again. You know, what happens if – and this is more of a general election question. Not It's not about the primaries. But in a general election, what happens if your position is highly unpopular with the American people? What would happen? What do you do? And to me, the answer is – pretty clear. But there are others who try to justify. In other words, do you sacrifice your principles, your ideology, and say, listen, I'm going to change position because I can't win? And the like the example I gave is, let's say you ran Paul. Let's say you believe, as we do, that the, the spending is out of control. You need to cut spending. You need to cut heavily cut and slash spending because the country's $31 trillion in debt and there's like a $1.5 trillion budget deficit. Um, so what if you run on, it's kind of like when the Democrats say we want to raise taxes, like even if they do want to raise taxes and they do, it's a silly (laughs) platform to run on because nobody wants to vote for somebody who wants to raise taxes. So now they say, well, we only want to tax the super wealthy. That's how they get around that. But so like cutting spending, if you announce this and I want to cut social security, cut Medicare, cut Medicaid, all these government programs out of control, right? That doesn't win elections. Um, even, by the way, even Republican, even Republican voters, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear about all the stuff the government's going to do for them. And you say, but what do you, what do you mean? Don't they know? Aren't they smart enough? Don't they realize how bad it is for the country, all this spending? Yeah, they technically may realize it in theory, but it, it doesn't penetrate. It, when it comes, push comes to shove, they don't want the person they vote for to be saying, listen, I'm going to cut your programs. You're not going to be getting the same programs that you were getting under the Democrats. They just don't want to hear it. That's a fact. So now what do you do? So you focus on other things. You focus on the border. You focus on inflation. You focus on all the other issues that people 
care about that you they're in agreement with you about. I get it. But in other words, this is like the thought experiment. This is the question is, what do you do if bottom line, the country goes socialist? What if most Americans go socialist because the Democrats convince them? I know it's irrational, but we've seen it. We've seen so many young people buy into this notion. Oh, I just want to get a lot of free stuff and just give me more and more free stuff. And who's going to pay for it? Ah, I don't know. I'm sure the government, there's, they, 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 they're, they're bringing in plenty of tax revenue. I'm sure they'll figure it out. So what if people, the country goes socialist and you can't win unless you're a socialist? So do you then say, all right, I'm also going to cave in. I'm also going to go socialist. I don't think so. But then you're going to keep losing elections. I'm not saying that's where we are right now, but we're sort of headed in that direction possibly unless there's a major change that happens. And that's a pretty pretty wild scenario where you cannot win unless you're a socialist because the country's just brainwashed into socialism. So it's like, well, we're in a democracy, so the majority rules. But if the majority decides, well, I want socialism, what do you do? It's like an interesting riddle, an interesting conundrum. So those who say, listen, here's what you do. You got to kind of tell them what they want to hear. You tell them, yeah, listen, I'm going to keep socialist programs intact. And then you get into office. That's the only way to win. But then when you win, then you impose your policies. That doesn't really work long term because you you may not get reelected if you like break all your campaign promises. But it's just really really interesting to think about. We have this issue coming up with abortion now, because obviously a lot of uh, Republicans, Trump has managed to kind of sidestep the abortion issue. But obviously DeSantis and many Republicans are are, are very pro-life and very anti-abortion, as we've discussed. And I'm glad for that. I'm happy for that. But it seems that there are many swing states where that's a very unpopular position. So now do they sacrifice their own philosophy, their ideology and say, all right, listen, I'm going to have to uh, vote in favor of more abortion or I'm going to have to vote against banning abortion because it's for the greater good, because that's ultimately how I'm going to get elected. And if I'm in power, I can do lots of good stuff. Again, that's kind of the justification that, the, that anyway, that's the, something to think about. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams in New York City, has blasted Biden for his horrific border policies. I love this, how Eric Adams keeps, like, blasting. I don't think he says Biden by name, but he's blasting the federal government. He's blasting blasting, blasting Washington, D.C. for abandoning New York City and causing this influx of migrants. They'll never call them illegals, but this influx of migrants causing a massive migrant crisis in New York City. And, like, it's amazing. So does Eric Adams say build a wall? No, he's never going to say build a wall. Does he say stop bringing illegals in to the country? No, he says we need more money. He's using this as an excuse to ask for more money from the federal government. So, you know, by the way, who's forcing Eric Adams to take in all these illegals? If you have a migrant crisis, if you have illegals who are flooding your city and the, you, you, all, all these social programs you're giving them, it's not just that he brings them in. He brings them in. He gives them housing. He puts them up at hotels. He's giving them food. He's giving them, you know, all sorts of programs. I mean, he's probably spending seventy, eighty thousand, hundred thousand dollars a year on every illegal in New York City. I'll tell you the numbers in a moment. They're staggering how much money is being spent in New York City in tax dollars on these illegals. So wouldn't you think you'd say, all right, let's kick them out. Let's get them out of the city. Let's no longer be a sanctuary city because this is not working. No, let's blame the federal government, ask them for more money and use this as an excuse. So the whole thing is just a sham. The whole thing is just a, uh, is just a game that Eric Adams is trying to play to try to boost the New York City's economy by bringing in illegals, getting them hotels, getting them food, all sorts of other things, catered meals and everything. And then, all right, well, I need more money. I need more tax dollars. And just let's keep this gigantic socialist experiment going. And uh, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, when, when you look at it, it's, it, 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 it's, like a, it's like a Ponzi scheme being done with our money. But so, so here are three points that I want to make here. Number one, Adams is ignoring the fact that this is his mess that he created because no, nobody's forcing him to take in these illegals. And in addition, even if you want to take them in, take them in, you know, tell them, listen, we're, you're a, we're a sanctuary city. And therefore, we're not going to arrest you and we're not going to call ICE and call the authorities and have you deported. But we're also not going to give you 
free housing, free food, free schools, free health care. We're not going to give you all of that, okay? Nobody's forcing him to do that. He's doing that on his own. So, yes, Biden is to blame. I'm not going to sit here and absolve Biden because, of course, Biden is to blame. Of course, the border policies are a total nightmare, and they're blaming Trump. And uh, amazing how they blame Trump and get away with it. The media buys into the narrative and reports it that it's Trump's fault that all these illegals are coming in. Trump literally stopped it. He stopped it. Forget Title 42, which was very helpful. But even before that, he, he, he created Remain in Mexico where these people came in. We're seeking asylum. We're being persecuted. They say all the bogus talk, talking points. And Trump said, all right, no problem. We'll have to process your application. Go go to the other side of the border. Go to Mexico. Wait there. We'll let you know when we're ready, which was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant um, policy. And, of course, first thing Biden did, came into office and reversed that policy and uh, allowed millions of illegals to flood the border. Number two, it's all about money, as I said. Number three, Adams is wasting billions on these ridiculous programs, hotels, catered meals, et cetera, et cetera. And, and and even Democrats are saying that Adams is not budgeting. He's a, he's actually he's just spending his spending is out of control in New York City and he's refusing to budget. And then they say to him, well, you know, your budget's out of control. Oh, well, it's Biden's fault. It's the federal government's fault. It's not my fault because it's the illegals. And now he can just blame. He can just not budget, just spend money left and right and just say, well, sorry, this is not my fault and pass the buck. So here's a quote from Eric Adams, quote, the national government has turned its back on New York City. Every service in the city is going to be impacted by the asylum seeker crisis, asylum seeker crisis. You got to love that. The illegal crisis, okay? Illegal. They're not asylum seekers. They just, they know what words to say to get in. Because George Soros sends, literally sends people there, pays people to go to the border and coach these people and tell them, because they don't even know English. But the, 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 the 17 words they know are, I am seeking asylum. I am being persecuted by my country. There's a clear and present danger, et cetera. All right. So in between July 2022 and this past March, New York City spent $817 million. Okay. Less than a year. New York City has spent $817 million between last July and this past March, which was last month. Estimates show the city will spend $4.2 billion on costs related to the migrant crisis, what I call the illegal crisis, $4.2 billion between this June and the end of fiscal year 2024. So in the next, let's say, year and three months or so, uh, New York City will spend $4.2 billion on the illegal crisis. This is insane. I mean, the numbers I'm saying right now, those are beyond comprehension. Now, New York City has applied for a grant from FEMA, of course. They want a grant. They're calling this, I mean, unbelievable. They're going to take money away from hurricane victims, tornado victims. Who knows? There are real people out there with real emergencies who benefit from FEMA funding. FEMA, of course, is the Federal Emergency Management Agency. So now they're saying, well, this is a federal emergency, that New York City decides to let in these illegals and give them free hotels, free food, free health care, et cetera. So we need $654 million from FEMA, and they're waiting for a decision by May 31st. So now, of course, Adams is putting on the pressure because he wants to force Biden to pressure FEMA to give New York City money. And as I said, then this is how the New York City economy runs now is nobody wants to live in New York City except illegals. Well, who's paying for them? Well, we're going to have to, number one, raise taxes. I'm sure people in New York City, businesses, et cetera. And number two, we're going to have to demand money from the federal government. It's beyond outrageous. All right, the debt ceiling debate. We need to talk about this because the country is on the verge of default, and they're going to have to figure something out here in the next few weeks. Um, Democrats, of course, are blaming Republicans. It's unbelievable how all the Republicans want to do is they say, listen, you're, you're, you have reckless, out-of-control spending, and you want to keep borrowing more and more money. You're like the person with the credit card, the gambler, who says, listen, just give me another 100 bucks, Just give me another 1000 bucks, and uh, just keep increasing my credit limit. Well, but how are you going to pay for it? Well, I don't know. I'll figure that part out later. But I just want to keep gambling or I just want to keep buying buying stuff at the store. I just want to keep buying more 
more cars and more stereos or whatever. It, 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 you know, more devices, more more iPhones. So here, just keep giving me more and more money and zero accountability, zero, you know, no balancing of the budget. Like you never ever actually say, well, here's what we're going to cut. Here's how we're going to pay for all of this. Just let's keep borrowing, keep spending, and never ever any plan to actually pay it back. So the, the Democrats then flip it and blame Republicans. So the Republicans are saying, listen, we need to cut spending. You want to raise the debt ceiling. I'll give you that. Maybe they shouldn't even do it. Say, no, no, I'm not raising the debt ceiling. You figure it out. But they're too cowardly to do that. So instead they say, all right, we'll raise the debt ceiling, but we want to cut a couple of trillion dollars in spending. And the Democrats turn around and say, you see that? The Republicans, they want us to default. They want us to default. It's all their fault. It's unbelievable. The Democrats spend out of control. The Republicans tried to be the fiscally responsible party a little bit, not even so much, just a little bit. And Democrats turn around, oh, the Republicans are so irresponsible. They want America to default. You know what happened to our credit rating? Then that would be a disaster. The day that America defaults, we're, the, our country is going to go bankrupt. And it's all the Republicans' fault. And it's really all the Democrats' fault. Again, another example of gaslighting, of twisting the facts around completely backward to flip it and make it seem like the Democrats. But, of course, the media then – willingly, happily buys into the narrative and reports it and follows the Democrat talking points. So the question is going to be, are the Republicans going to cave in because they get this, ne- these, you know, this negative coverage, um, which is fake? Will they cave in and raise the debt ceiling without massive spending cuts? Kevin McCarthy says that he is only going to agree if they cut. He has a plan to cut a lot of spending programs, as I'll outline here in a moment. So he, sa- he says he's not going to cave. Let's see how Speaker Kevin McCarthy this is several days ago, released a plan to raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion, which will last for about a year. Um, and he wants to repeal major components of the Biden agenda. So he has th- th- this bill that he has released called um, the Limit Save Grow Act of 2023. It would save American taxpayers $4.5 trillion. It would limit certain discretionary spending. It would retrieve unspent COVID funds, which is unbelievable how there's literally so many billions in COVID funding that was wasted, and we just lost that money. So Ken McCarthy says we can retrieve some of it. That's part of the plan, eliminating Biden's student loan forgiveness and cutting funds that are earmarked for the IRS to hire 87,000 new employees. So these are the four things that McCarthy wants to do here. Number one, he wants to retrieve COVID money that was unspent. He wants to eliminate student loan forgiveness. He wants to cut IRS funding, uh, which additional IRS funding, which is being used to hire 87,000 IRS employees who are going to target you and me, target mostly the middle class, and he wants to limit certain discretionary spending. So, so McCarthy wants to literally lim- uh, cut spending by $4.5 trillion. By the way, he also wants to cre- – uh, this is part of the discretionary cuts. He wants to create work requirements for welfare programs like Medicaid and food stamps, which is a no-brainer. And Trump tried to do that. He got a lot of backlash. Even the courts overturned some of it. But they say, listen, if you're a healthy male and you're on Medicaid, you're on food stamps, you've got to work, okay? If you work and you're not making enough money, we'll give it to you. But if you don't even try to work, you have to prove that you're either working or applying for a job or volunteering or something. So, again, he wants to kill student loan forgiveness, eliminate the 87,000 additional IRS employees who are being hired to literally target the middle class and audit the middle class. And he wants to, as I said, retrieve unspent COVID funding and uh, impose work requirements for welfare programs, which would then cut a lot of the spending on those welfare programs. So the media, like I said, they make it seem like the Republicans just want to drive the country off of a cliff. The reality is the exact opposite. So let's see what happens. Are, you know, are the Republicans going to cave in? Will they actually demand spending cuts? Will they meet somewhere in the middle? We'll keep an eye. Uh, bogus media headline, as I alluded to earlier, Republicans are banning books in schools. And it's 
totally false. The Republicans are not banning anything. Republicans are protecting children. When I don't allow my five-year-old to read a certain book or to see something that they shouldn't see or whatever it is, you know, even to, you know, certain discussions that shouldn't be had in front of a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, I'm not banning, I'm not censoring, I'm not, uh, info, you know, I'm not uh, suppressing freedom of speech. I'm not doing any of that. I, I'm just protecting a child because it's not age appropriate. If the Republicans said that the book couldn't be sold on Amazon, book couldn't be sold in a bookstore, that would be banning. By the way, even the, in those situations, there are times when that might be justified and not a suppression of freedom of speech when it comes to morality and, and all of that. But that's not even what I'm getting into. Saying that a, that, that, that a school should not expose children to immoral books is not banning. But you literally have an L.A. Times that's made national headlines. We had an L.A. Times um, story. Quote, the, the headline is, quote, book bans on the rise in U.S. schools fueled by new laws in Republican states. Book bans on the rise in U.S. schools fueled by new laws in Republican-led states. It is not a book ban. It, they're not banning. They're not censoring. They're not suppressing freedom of speech. Freedom of speech doesn't mean that you can go and brainwash and indoctrinate innocent little children with immoral stuff, okay, with, with these Im- with books that are filled with immorality and filled with politically correct garbage. That, that's not called banning. You, 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 there, there's there's no, nothing in the Constitution that says you have to expose, you have a right to expose children, especially when the parents are the ones who want these books to be left kept out of schools. You, you, no, you have a right, a teacher and a school has a right to brainwash children with the horrific, immoral things, things that are not age-appropriate, things that are really, really harmful and damaging. So the Republicans are the good guys, and the Republicans are protecting the kids, and again, they're flipping it around and making it seem like the Republicans somehow are guilty of censorship and suppression of freedom of speech and banning. The Republicans are banning. Cancel culture, right? That's a Democrat tactic, not a Republican tactic. So it's about um, not allowing the schools to teach immorality to kids and brainwash them and hijack our children with their twisted immoral ideology. So let me read you from this article, quote, fearing criminal penalties, public schools throughout Missouri removed hundreds of books from their libraries. State lawmakers last year made it illegal to provide students with immoral material. That's not the word that they use, but I'll just use the word immoral material. The law carried punishment up to a year in prison. The issue was playing out in public school districts and campus libraries across the U.S. First Amendment advocates warn book bans gassed up by state legislation pushed by conservatives are stacking up at an alarming rate. In a report published Thursday by some free speech organization, 1,477 instances of books being prohibited during the first half of this past academic school, the current academic school year, up 28% from the previous semester. Overall, the organization recorded more than 4,000 instances of banned books since it started tracking cases in July of 2021, mostly being done by Republicans. What that means is what the, what the, the article should say is the Republicans are the only ones who are moral and are upstanding and who care about protecting kids. That's the narrative here. The real story is Republicans care about kids. The Democrats throw children under the bus. Democrats want to brainwash, inundate kids with immorality. And probably the, the Democrats, it's not even about the kids. We know that. Not probably. The Democrats, they just use children as just a pawn because they just want to advance their reprehensible, disgraceful, immoral agenda. And they want to destroy innocent kids in the process. The kids are collateral damage. So that's the story here. Republicans care about kids. Democrats don't care one bit about kids as opposed to Republicans are banning things because the Republicans are evil and they want to suppress anybody who disagrees with them. They want to suppress freedom of speech. Um, for The forbidden books are largely by and about people of color. I'm reading from this article. And immoral individuals, again, I'm using the word immoral, of the books removed, um, 30% are about race, racism, or include characters of color. So the Republicans, they want, they're racist. They want to ban books that have black people in it. And 26% have immoral characters or themes. Again, I'm using the term immoral, but that's basically what the story says. 
Um, all at a time when library shelves are becoming more inclusive and representative of society. Representative of society. What is that, by the way? That's a code. Again, that's from the article. This is, comes at a time. Republicans are being so narrow-minded and banning anyone who disagrees with them and excluding the, the left at a time when library shelves are becoming more representative of society. That terrifies me because they don't mean representative of society. They mean libraries are becoming representative of morally decrepit people, people who abuse children and do all sorts of other things. That's representative of society. They don't mean society. They mean representing the bad guys. They figured out a way to fill the libraries with books that represent all these horrible, horrible things. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.